0: This is NFL.com's Coach's Show Podcast.
1: 40 men together can't lose. 30. This is why you lift all Everybody on them weights. Everybody's driving out there. Nobody's
2: talking. And now we're going. There's a gleam, men. There's a gleam.
0: Welcome to the Coach's Show Podcast. Brian Billick here with Steve Mariucci. On this week's episode, the Broncos are off to a sizzling start. We appreciate the genius that is Peyton Manning's football mind. Head coach Bruce Arians joins the show to discuss the state of the Cardinals offense and Patrick Peterson's unique versatility. Plus, Mooch and I share what we definitely know four weeks into the NFL season. The coach's show starts now. Coach, I was going to accuse you of not paying your electric bill, but I think you're just having a bad hair day, so you've pulled the plug on the video part of this thing.
1: No, actually, it's because your picture's up uh, behind me, and I think it broke the camera.
0: <laughs> Did it? Okay, well, I'll, I'll take that as an excuse. We got to, We have to start with obviously the elephant in the room, Peyton Manning, and that's and a big he,
1: elephant, man. Oh.
0: And what he's doing? I mean, he's on pace. I mean, for a while, you can look at it and you say, okay, over four games, we're talking sixty-four touchdowns on the year, and that's you know fifties the record. And yeah, he's going to come off of that. Even if we're off by 10%, he's still going to go blowing by this record. Let's talk about, obviously, gifted athletes surrounded by some great talent with with Decker and Thomas and Julius Thomas, the the tight end. But I want to talk about the intellect of Peyton Manning, his mentality for the game. and Because for me, I think that's what separates him now from maybe virtually any other quarterback in the league.
1: And when you have Brian... a a guy that's smart to start with okay he's he's been a bright guy heck you you remember watching him in tennessee you know and 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 going through the process of evaluation you know he came across as a very well-spoken uh guy who gets it and and says the right things and he and so he start with a smart guy and then add the work ethic that he has because he's a he's a football junkie and and what he does in preparation is crazy i mean he he studies more he he has more guys helping him he uh, he's he just consumed Right, with preparing for football, he loves training camp. He loves everything, and so he's a, he's just uh, obsessed with it. And so, and then you give him the right to call your own plays at the line of scrimmage. <laughs> you know he's gonna, you he know, you know he loves to wing it. He doesn't want to be noted as the greatest quarterback ever to hand the ball off. He, you know, and so you add that all up, and you've got a guy that's just a marvel to watch right now. This is crazy. I, I we've seen good teams before. We've seen good offenses before. Yeah, the greatest show on turf, and Tom Brady's offenses, and you had some great offenses, you know. And, and at Minnesota, you, you just remember some of those ones that just hit on all eight cylinders. This is this is crazy. This is seems unstoppable.
0: Yeah, this goes beyond just the level of of physically performing on the field. Two things that jump out at me when I've done a couple Peyton Manning games where you know you go in, and you watch practice, and you get a chance to visit afterwards, and Two things jump out at me. When you watch a practice of Peyton Manning's, it's stunning to me how he's coaching everybody. He was in the offensive line drills, talking about his calls and where they need to go. He was in the running back drills. He was in with the receivers. I mean, it it was like he was the head coach because he orchestrated every minute of the offensive practice. Getting them into the rhythm of what he yeah. was going to call, why he was going to call. And the other thing it was for me, when you sit and visit with Peyton, I remember sitting in my first game with him. And we're talking about some kind of pressure off the weak side and the free safety coming up and the will, you know, coming through the C gap or whatever. And he goes, yeah, yeah. He says, you know, you did that to me a couple of years ago, Coach. You, you, <laughs> you brought the wheel down, then you walked this mic up into this, and then but you, then you brought him through the sea and backed him off. and bring, I said, when did we do that? He goes, remember, it was about six or seven years ago. <laughs> Boy, are you kidding me? I don't even I remember know. what we did last week. And you're pulling up a play that and, – and when you talk to the coaches that have coached him, it's that intellect that they bring up first.
1: Well, and two, got to remember, Brian, when – The Broncos and John Elway were, you know, talking to him and recruiting him, so to speak, to come and play for them. He wasn't going to run Tim Tebow's offense, all right? They weren't going to run any of that option stuff. It was going to be, Peyton, we want you and your offense. Yeah. Well, and you so, obviously, coming into it, he knew it better than anybody. He still does. And so it's, it's got to be, you know, there's so much communication that takes place on the line of scrimmage that, that it the linemen have to know what's exactly what's on his mind and the receivers and the coaches, too. So it's very unique situation where you're giving this guy full autonomy to uh, – Uh, to do his thing that he's comfortable with you know you know you're not going to teach him the west coast offense or the the run and shoot you're going to let him do what he does and uh so he feels entitled to uh make sure everybody's on the same page
0: yeah i remember talking to clyde christensen who was his quarterback coach and his coordinator for a long long time and 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 still um and i remember him asking him about and clyde as we both know you know clyde Excellent yeah. coach, and and uh, would like to be a head coach one day. And he said, you know, you know, I'd really like to be a head coach, but I hope they don't think that I'm going to bring this offense with me if they hire me because I got no clue how we're doing what we're doing. It is all <laughs> Peyton Manning, and it is yeah. amazing. Well, look, who's the smartest quarterback you ever worked with? Steve Young. Okay, and what made yeah. him special? What well, made, what you know, made Brian, and,
1: and you know Steve, and and um, the guy's got a law degree. Okay, I mean, this guy is not just book smart, he's street smart, he's got common sense. He sometimes he talked to me and I go, "I'm not sure what you just said, but I agree." And so, he in fact, you know how in the offensive um, meeting room, you know, you put your game plan up on the walls, right? On the chalkboards and and plays and personnel groups and formations and all of that is you know base nickel goal line short yardage red zone all the way around the room okay so we would come in on saturday for our our dreaded review meetings but then after that we would have our quarterback meeting with steve and quarterbacks and he would literally sit in the middle of the room in a chair kind of like a like a guru i don't i just like a, i don't know what it's like and he with his rote memory would recite what's on the boards without looking at the boards at all he would just kind of be looking down at the floor and he would tell you in order all the way across the room what was the formation, the play, and the multiple formations and motions and personnel groups of every situation, and and, and not just helter-skelter. It was in order. It was exactly how it was written on the board. It it was crazy. I tried to film it one day. We snuck a camera in the room, um, and the darn thing wouldn't work, kind of like my camera today. (laughs) And and, uh, because it was so different, so unique as to how he – if I were to put a – a wristband on his wrist, you know, to to help him with plays and formations. He would look at that as an insult, because he had everything memorized, and that's why we would huddle up most of the time, because he would help all the other players do what they needed to do.
0: Yeah, that whole I had Brad. I guess the closest one I had Brad Johnson, but his was more as a, of a practical intelligence. He could see things, process things like a Peyton. He would draw back. Oh, remember! Remember six weeks ago. Remember two years ago, Coach. We did such and such. I'm going, yeah, okay. As long I I don't, but as long as you remember it, I'm fine with that. And could draw things up like that. It's an amazing capacity to do that. And I I don't know. You know, I I don't know where the the record is. Fifty touchdowns. Peyton had it at 49. Then Tom uh, Brady, Brady broke it at 50. Uh, touchdowns.
1: That's a goner.
0: Yeah, they, they're going to Like I said, even if even if we're 20% wrong, he's going to go flying by this thing because to watch him <laughs> operate. Well, let me ask you this, because um, I wrote about this as well. He had some pretty good teams in Indianapolis, but this yeah. combination of uh, 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 Thomas at wide receiver, Eric Decker, Wes Welker in the slot, both tight ends, Jacob Tammy and this Julius Thompson, who's a phenomenal athlete, is this the best group he's ever been had around yeah. him, including Indianapolis? Yeah. He had some yeah. good teams in him in yeah. Indianapolis. Yeah. I, as well. I,
1: I made that comment on game day morning because uh, we were talking about will he break the record, and I said I think he will because he's got the he's probably has the best receiving core he's ever ever had. Now Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne were great pretty good receivers. Dallas Clark was very good. Stokely was a slot. Wes Welker, heck, over the last six years, nobody ever has had that kind of production in the league. And then you get those big guys that you mentioned, Thomas and Decker. They're monsters. And then this Julius Thomas guy, this tight end that came out of nowhere... Was a basketball player, and we love that kind of qualification for a tight end. You know, he used to play basketball like Tony Gonzalez. And, and so he's got four guys, not to mention all of his running backs, that are really something special physical, strong, smart. And if they stay healthy, heck, they might all go over a thousand yards in receiving. That's never been done before. And so I, I, now, the only thing that might slow him down, Brian is old man winter you never know what it's going to be like late in the season in denver it's not a dome like it was in indianapolis so maybe old man winter plays a little defense but still he's got a real chance to do some damage with those yeah. record books
0: yeah and and with that in mind between now and then i wouldn't want to be one of those teams because he's going to try to crank that thing up there so yeah well let's now let's October. let's transition into another subject now we on the sunday night game we saw the atlanta falcons and the new england patriots and <laughs> Obviously, the job Tom Brady is doing with that group and still maturing that group. But I want to talk – let's talk a little bit about red zone. A great deal was made of the red zone offense and defense of both teams. Both teams, frankly, New England, not necessarily the other night, but Atlanta in particular has struggled in the the red zone. Let's talk a little bit about, in our experiences as well, how your game planning and what you do in the red zone changes. Because to me, what jumps out is – at some point, if you're going to be good in the red zone, I don't care how well you throw the ball and how many fade shots you can throw up and how many big receivers, the really good red zone teams, at some point you've got to be able to run effectively, Amen. don't yeah. you? Just, I was just for waiting the for you to
1: say that. Because and, and with their Steven Jackson out, and I, he, I guess he wanted to play in this game and probably would have helped, but they didn't clear him to play. I think he's going to go next Next week, because uh, you've got to, I agree, you've got to be able to run the football because a lot of the touchdown passes in the red zone are what? They're play action keeps or movements. So if you don't have that run threat, you might as well just forget about that. And so, and a lot's been said about Matt Ryan's red zone, you know, failures in the first game, this last game. They go all the way back to, The last AFC champion or NFC championship game, but did you see? Did you see what the Patriots were doing to Tony Gonzalez?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I recognize that they may not have shown that that New England may not have shown that double press. And you're right, it looked like the gunner on the punt team. But I remember when I had Chris Carter, and one of the first thing Chris would do. Would tell me during the course of the game. You know, we may not have had it have had it scripted up for him to be on the move, but he'd tell me, "Hey, coach," I, he was like the Sundance Kid, Butch City and Sundance Kid. Remember when he couldn't shoot it straight unless he drew? Chris would go, "Hey, coach, I got to move. I can't get. I, you yeah. got to move me on." So I'd, I'd just all of a sudden start calling with some kind of movement. Don't you got to move Tony Gonzalez around?
1: Well, I think next time they will. But I, I really believe they were st- – I can't remember exactly what the formation and play was, but the two times that I saw it deployed, um, Tony was stationary, and maybe somebody else was in motion. I can't really remember. But but um, they're taking a chance, you know. They're taking a chance. Hey, They're, they're saying they want to throw the ball to Tony Gonzalez, and why wouldn't you? He had about 12 catches, and he – just fabulous. Man, he should play another three, four years. But anyway, you know, then somebody else is singled up. Matt Ryan's got to find – and that last – That last throw... I thought Akeem Aq, Talib might have interfered a little early when he knocked that one down. What a game, though. I mean, yeah, you know, we talk about when somebody loses close games like that, we nitpick, you know, the red zone is not any good anymore. Well, Matt Ryan's got 22 come from behind wins, and he's been, he's been very good in late-game situations and the red zone for the most part. That's just good football. It's just good entertaining football. And Atlanta, they, you know, they were 13-3 last year and 1-3 and this year, but, you know, they're right there. They're climb out of it. They're a good football team. If they if they try to get healthy a little bit here, they're missing some pieces.
0: Yeah, and I know defensive coaches. When I usually when I will ask defensive coaches, however they're doing defensively, what what their priorities are, and you know maybe they're giving up a lot of yards running or passing or whatever. But to a man, I can't remember when I've had a defensive coach when I ask him about okay, what's the biggest priorities you have? And you can talk about third down conversions, you can talk about completion percentage, you can talk about getting sacks and pressure, whatever. But I don't know. I can't remember the last time a defensive coach didn't tell me. Number one, you got to be good in the red zone. You got to hold teams out of the end zone. You know, okay, give them field goals. Just don't give them touchdowns. That that you know. So defenses, let's give them credit too. They get paid. That that is such a priority now. People are really focusing on the defense they want to play in the red zone.
1: Yeah, it is. And so, yeah. And when you game plan, you remember you have a new package of plays. Really, there's some plays that you use for you know, up the field in different situations. But by and large, a lot of those red zone plays are solely red zone plays, and they're used for that area only on the field, the plus 20, the plus 15, the plus 10. And so it's it's very strategic, and it's very exact down there. And, A, you got to be able to run the football, like you said. If you have no running game, then a lot of your play-action pass game is just out the window. And, boy, you have to have some precision and timing and accuracy because things are tight, down
0: there Let, let's uh, let's second guess here a little bit a lot of people want to question should Mike Smith have not gone for that fourth and one should he have taken the three points now in hindsight you get to the end of the game and you recognize what that three points would have meant instead of going for it on fourth down but let's talk about him I don't have a problem with him going for it it's Tom Brady you've moved down there uh you, and, but the fact that they ran a boot and went to Matt Ryan's left in that critical situation. Oh, yeah. I might second-guess that a little bit, but I don't know that I disagree. I mean, at some point, you you, you got you, you to gotta do go against the chart, so to speak, and say, you know what, we're down here, we got to take advantage of it, because they could have gotten a first down.
1: And I'm, I'm with you because I don't second-guess going for it or, or not going for it, because you look at your call sheet and you know what you're comfortable with, and if you feel like it's going to if you you got a chance then you go ahead and go for it the only thing that was a little bit unusual for me and and I've seen Matt Ryan go to his left and throw very accurately but when when we used to run even with Steve Young and Brett Favre when we used to run sprint outs like sprint right option Brian yep
0: only to we, the right
1: we never did it to the left right. Never did it to the left. And them. I understand Our, that, that Steve Young did it to the left. He never did it to the right. because right. and, and why? Because it's not what you practice. It's not what you do most. It's a lower percentage thing. And we didn't, we didn't even practice it. We didn't do it. Period. And even though so,
0: teams knew you only ran it to your right, and I understand, I can hear the conversation now. Well, let's do the tendency breaker. So they think we're going to go to the right. So now let's run this to the left. But you're putting your quarterback in a tough physical position. <laughs>
1: I remember when Brett was his first year starting, okay, after Domikowski got her, we're playing the Denver Broncos in Lambeau. And he audibled, you know, the, the audible on sprint right option was Q8, right? Red, Q8. Right, well, he audibled to the sprint left option because we had slot over there, huh. it was bump and run, he wanted it, and he starts checking on in the red zone, very important play in the game, <laughs> and, and he ran it, and he sailed it, you know, like, he sailed it like Matt Ryan did, just like, because we never practiced. Mike Holmgren, Mooch, oh, wow. what is he doing? Huh. And I'm going, how would I know, really, how would I know what <laughs> this kid's doing right now? And, oh, my God, so that was the last time we ever went the opposite way.
0: I can I can just see the tape now. We're holding getting that big finger pointing <laughs> over going, Brett, Let's let's not let's you not died. do that anymore, okay? Let's just not not run things that we don't run in this offense. So, uh yeah, and 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 it's 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 the typical and it's the it's our mantra here on the Coach's Show podcast that if you do something out of the box like that, if it works you're a genius and if it doesn't you're an idiot because that's the only way people judge those
2: things anymore.
1: Yeah, but and, but keep in mind, let's reiterate, Matt Ryan has done that before more than than you and I probably would, and he's been pretty darn good going left. And really they were yeah. at home
0: where they've been very good. It's their circumstance. That always factors into it as well. My home on the road is it someplace I'm comfortable with. Yeah, and, and everybody yeah. – uh, yeah. yeah, and and but I see that every week when I'm doing games. It seems like a lot of teams I know when, did Minnesota a couple of times. They kept trying to break the tendency and going to the left on Christian Ponder, and he kept throwing interceptions. Mm-hmm. You know, I, if, as the head coach at some point, you, you – Tell the coordinator, hey, you know what? How about we just do that to the right? Because those interceptions sure. aren't working real well.
1: Well, and the other thing is, you can do, you can be selective and only go to the right if you choose to in the pros because of the tight hash marks. Right in college, you're stuck. College right. and high school, you've got to be able to sprint both ways. It's actually a harder game to coach and harder game to play, I think, with those wide hash marks. But in the pros, you want to do, you want to be one one way, right handed. You can be
0: uh let's let's transition on to i want to talk about two teams the seattle seahawks kansas city chiefs both undefeated obviously doing well seattle with big come from behind win obviously they, they struggled around on the first half and came back in the second half against houston uh kansas city obviously just a, a dominating game outstanding game against a really struggling giant team but that doesn't You know, diminish the significance that they're now sitting at 4 0. But both of these teams, in an age where we just got done talking about Peyton Manning and maybe 60 plus touchdown passes and the balls up and down the field and all these throws and league leading, you know, history of the NFL, 400 yard games. Here are two teams that are really old school balance, offense, defense, run, pass, both with Pete Carroll and Andy Reid. I guess the thing I want to ask is they're playing really well right now, but can that formula, I know it can win a lot of games and go to the playoffs. Can you go to a Super Bowl and win with it? Or at some point, do these guys have to be what those other great quarterbacks are?
1: Brian, I think it can win a Super Bowl, and and you won a Super Bowl with sort of that formula. And I know it's a little bit later now with more and more emphasis in the passing game. But you know what? Personally, I love it. I love love a balanced offense. I love the run game, the smash-mouth football. The uh, not necessarily three yards in a cloud of dust, but some dynamic runners. You're talking about Jamal Charles. You're talking about Marshawn Lynch. If you have those guys on your team, boy, don't you have to feed them the ball? And then when you're playing with good defenses, and Kansas City's a much better defense than we give them credit for, they can sack the quarterback now. Um, and we know Seattle's defense is terrific. Wait till they get Bruce Irvin back. Um, yeah, I, I think these teams can go far. And they are undefeated, but we saw the 49ers the other night play smash mouth football with the run game and Frank Gore, the inconvenient truth, and play great defense. and And caller, Colin Kaepernick, Dion said it in in the post game show. This was a game for Colin Kaepernick that really reminded me of Alex Smith, the way they used to play Alex Smith for the 49ers. There was no zone read. There was He only threw 23 times. And it was just let's rely on defense and run game the old-fashioned way. I
0: think they're listening to the Coach's Show podcast, Mooch, because this is exactly are. what we talked about last week, about yeah, you know yeah. where the core of what 49ers used to do was, or used to do even last year, was that power running game and a little bit of the zone read and that type of stuff. And it seemed to flip well in that – St. Louis game, you're right. It went back to that was the base. Uh, And I think we're seeing, you know, I'm going to transition off here a little bit, but... You know, we started off the year talking about the zone read and all that that was going to be and change the league and whatever. I think it's real clear cut. These defensive coordinators have caught up with that a little bit because whether it's Seattle, I don't think Russell Wilson ran the zone read one time. They're not doing it in Washington anymore for maybe different reasons because RG3 is hurt. They've gotten away from it with uh, Colin Kaepernick. You think we uh, all but four games into it has that discussion about the, uh, the uh, wide open zone read, uh, uh, read option game. Yeah. Is that a thing of the past?
1: Yeah, well, it's not, I don't think it's a thing of the past, but we really toned it down a little bit. I mean, you know, hiring Chris Alt. I mean, I I heard the guy interviewed, or it was it, there were like a handful of teams that were trying to get him on board to pick his brain and to bring that knowledge of the pistol offense to the National Football League. And I think you mentioned that... He, Defenses, defensive coordinators are not stupid people. Now, they—I they, know a lot of them did, did a lot of homework, talked to a lot of college coaches who face these offenses a lot. You know, try to try to get a, some semblance of a scheme that would fit playing against the zone read and the, the coverages necessary in the NFL. Um, I think the fact that RG three got hurt was a wake-up call for all these offensive coordinators that think they're going to major in uh, running the football with a quarterback. It's like, oh yeah, really? And, t- and take a risk that you're going to lose your guy? Are you kidding me? Because your backup isn't built the same. And so I, I think I think it's here to stay, uh, but-, but judiciously. I-, I think it's going to be some of these quarterbacks that are capable of, capable of it, and you mentioned who they are, will run it Once in a while, just to keep teams working on it and worried about it, a lot of the zone read stuff is play action, stay in the pocket, and do your thing. So um, I think it's here to stay as a a uh, change-up, but I don't see anybody majoring in it anytime soon.
0: Well, and and back to the original topic with Seattle and Kansas City, I love the fact that with all the talk about and with the Chip Kellys and the upbeat and the number of plays and don't worry about time of possession, Kansas City and Seattle go back to the old school. You know what? That time of possession is important. And, and we want to kind of run that down, and and whether it's a lot of plays or time of possessions, as we've talked about, unless it's accompanied by points, it's useless. Yeah. Uh, and and but I, they, it is very much old school. It's going to be interesting to see because at the end of the day, Alex Smith, not so much Russell Wilson yet, all but in a run, young career. But Alex Smith, part of the the knock on an Alex Smith, and and part of the reason they went to Colin Kaepernick was questioning whether okay, can he be good enough to be that guy? to win a championship he's clearly doing here in kansas city what he did in san francisco in terms of winning games and being efficient so um but it's going to be that's good you know that's all we're going to hear once we get in the playoffs okay can you do the next thing
1: (laughs) and you know he was a guy in san francisco that was in the championship game against the giants and then a Fumbled punt kept them out of that Super Bowl, so he's, he's he's certainly good enough to get his team to the Super Bowl. I can't wait, Brian, for the Chiefs to play the Broncos, yeah. but they don't play until 11th of week, so we're going to have to kind of just Well, they play I think
0: twice in three weeks. In fact, we were going over it today in our production meeting for Total Access about when do we think that that Kansas City or excuse me Denver will lose. They play Kansas City, uh, I forget 11, who else, and, and then they play 13, Kansas City at Kansas City. That's when I think they're going to be most vulnerable is when they play Kansas City at Kansas City.
1: Is that week 13 or 11? I think it
0: is. I think it's the second No, it's the second one. They second play Kansas one. City and Denver. They play somebody else, and then they play at Kansas City.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's going to be good. This uh, The rival's back, and, and they should be because... Um, it's the 13th week. It should be a little snowy, and that stadium's going to be yeah. very loud. And, uh, wow, it'll be a battle. It, you know, it's a battle of attrition, too. You know, are they healthy? Um, you know, you've seen some teams that are really getting nicked up, and they become different teams here all of a sudden. But but uh, provided these two teams stay healthy, um, boy, oh, boy, it's well, going to be a show. And there's,
0: there's that three-game stretch of exactly what it is. They're telling me it's Kansas City in Week 11 in Denver then it's at New England in week 12, ooh, ooh. and then at Kansas City. So that's going to be, you're right, that will be a challenge for this Denver team. Somewhere in there, I don't know which one for sure, but if I'm a betting man, if they're going to lose a game, it'd probably be in one of, the, one of that three-game stretch.
1: I mean, think about what you just said, you know, Denver at New England, and you got the two great quarterbacks, okay? But look at the supporting cast. Look at the yeah. differences between Peyton's weapons and and tom Brady oh, Tom is playing with three rookies and and getting getting it done and I'm, I was just amazed at that game last night with Tom Brady as efficient as he was, and how many plays those rookie receivers made, and they're growing up fast and 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 you know with experience and in Reputation is nowhere near what Peyton has right now, but boy, they're 4 0 too.
0: Yeah, they're not making, for my money, they're going to have to start making a few more plays down the field. Tom's very efficient in getting the ball. Their yards per ca- uh, catch is not real high, which is fine. It's like an extended running game. I think they're going to have to start to make more plays down the field. That's going to, but you go back to Denver and New England and, and Bill Belichick. They always say, well, Bill Belichick's a brilliant because he takes away what a team does best. Well, that's kind of what every defensive coordinator I've ever had tries to do. But that's the, uh, you, can you imagine Bill Belichick? Okay, take away what they do best. Is that Demarius Thomas? Is that Eric Decker? Is that Wes Welker? Is that Julius Thomas? Which Which one of these good things are you going to Because you can't take them all away. We know that. Well, I'm going to transition here. I've got a chance to visit with uh, head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, Bruce Arians, after a big win for them on the road against Tampa Bay. We've got six and a half minutes left. They're down by seven. They're still
2: in this game. And it is intercepted by Peterson to the
1: 20. Throws end zone. Caught. Fitzgerald and
0: hit as he throws, intercepted by Patrick Peterson. And the Arizona Cardinals have come back to take this game away from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. With their 13-10 win over the Buccaneers Sunday, the Arizona Cardinals rally from a fourth-quarter 10-point deficit for the first time since 2003 And joining us now is first-year head coach, Cardinals head coach, Bruce Arians. Coach, thanks for joining the Coach Show podcast. Um that, I've always said winning on the road is the toughest thing to do in all professional sports. To go on the road and come back in the fourth quarter—talk about what that does for your team.
2: Well, it just—it gives you that uh, belief that if you fight for sixty minutes, something good's going to happen, you know. And uh, that not everything was going our way, especially offensively in, in that game, but defensively we we kept the pressure on. Finally, got a good break and uh, put the ball in the end zone and, and just snowballed.
0: Let's talk about Carson Palmer and your offense. Last year, obviously, you took an Andrew Luck and, and you nurtured him through what you were trying to install there in, in Indianapolis. And now, now you're doing it with a veteran. Is there a difference between how you approach that progression with a rookie than as opposed to a longtime veteran like Carson Palmer?
2: Yeah, definitely there is. You know, with a rookie, he doesn't have uh, past experiences uh, other than his college uh, with Carson, he's got four or five different coordinators uh, still in his head at time. And when he looks at film, he likes certain things. And, and we try to accommodate and build them into our offense.
0: you know, got a, a dynamic receiver like Larry Fitzgerald and, and didn't have a catch in the first half. Obviously, pivotal in the end, came back with six catches for 68 yards. Talk about how that mentality works from, I mean, obviously, you've got him targeted, and you want to get it to him. But sometimes you got to give the defense credit, too. They're going to they're going to try to stop him as well. Talk about that progression during the course of the game and how you come back from one half to the next.
2: Well, I think the big thing is not to force it in the, force, in the first half. And When they're double covering him, uh, go to your other guys that are singled. And then at halftime, we'll readjust and, and try to make uh, some situations that we can get him into zones or get him one-on-one.
0: You know, Rashard Mendenhall had a tough day, as it was, and, and that can happen. How do you help a young player or even a veteran player when he makes the kind of mistakes that Mendenhall make? How, how do you help him through that so that you can still stick with him and that the team can stick with
2: him? Well, I think there has to be a trust factor and, and, and a reason why mistakes were made. The last one, running out of bounds at the end, that, that was sheer frustration from not having a good game and he was going to make something big happen, go out there and score, and just made it worse. Uh, I think with Rashard, I know how, I know what he's capable of, and uh, we need to get him back on the practice field and getting a lot of reps, which he hasn't been for three weeks because of the injuries.
0: Yeah, you got to, on the other side of the ball, you got a great one in Patrick Peterson. Boy, when this guy came out, I, I, he was the top of my draft board, not that anybody cared. I thought he was the most dynamic player it's been to, to, to pro bowls. Uh, obviously the picks that he had, uh, you've talked a little bit out and used him a little bit offensively. Talk about how you integrate a player like that into the offense a little bit, all, but in a piecemeal
2: way. It's so easy because he's such a great yeah. athlete. Yeah. I, I've never been around a receiver that you could just say, Hey, run as fast as you can break off your third inside step. Boom. He's, he's wide open. <laughs> and, uh, we try to use him, and he's got a package of about 50 plays.
0: Yeah, and so – so, and 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 was that something that will grow? I mean, is that something if he has X amount of snaps, it's something – or is it just a game-by-game game or situation-by-situation? Situation?
2: Pretty much what's going on on defense. If his number of snaps are down, then we can use him more on offense. But, yeah. he, you know, he's too good at what he does and um, punt returning, playing corner. We've got him following their best player all the time, so – uh, it's just a bonus that we we can use that speed and size uh occasionally on offense
0: the uh your defense obviously was a big part of your ability to hold on on the road and win the way you did. You get Daryl Washington back after suspension. Talk about what getting a player of that caliber back means to your team
2: boy it 's almost like having a great trade at this time <laughs> of the year right. so uh, explosive player not only in a blitzing but the the man to man coverage skills that he possesses. Uh, tight ends have been hurting us a little bit in the first uh, four games, and uh, he can eliminate some of that.
0: You, you obviously, and, and, and being at 2-2, two and two, and you can feel good about where you're at. You've beaten a very good Detroit team, obviously, that we saw. I did that Detroit-Chicago game. They're tied in the NFC North now. So that was a very good football team you beat at home against the Detroit Lions. But you're also in a division now that has a very good Seattle Seahawks team. And, and like all the divisions, you look at that, and they're undefeated, and they're playing well. I know it's just you got to win the next game, but do you, do you have to make sure your team understands, not be watching that guy that, that team up? Don't let that separation bother you. We'll just win the next game, and we'll see where it falls.
2: Yeah, we, we have a thing we call respect the process. And uh, it's Wednesday football, Thursday football, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, start all over. And, and like you said, we'll add them up soon and uh and when we get to december we'll start figuring out scenarios
0: yeah and how finally i got a question for you coach we we visited at length i know over the super bowl when you were kind enough to join us and uh just a, such an interesting story and transition for you you did it all last year as as the head coach and as the play caller and the primary organizer of the offense obviously chuck pagano and all that that went on Uh, But with the offseason you had, your role as the head coach now, is it different than it was last year when you were in Indianapolis in terms of of just your day-to-day and what you're doing?
2: Yeah, it's actually easier. Uh, I found out how to do it last year. And, uh, you know, just trusted other coordinators to do their jobs and not try to do everything myself. Uh, I've got great staff. Lean on them heavily. And uh, just keep fighting every day.
0: Yeah. I mentioned earlier before we got on, I love the hat. Tell, tell me about the charity that uh, that, you're, that you're doing that where you're trying to work up the hats with the charity.
2: Well, we're working with New Era, and they designed this hat, and uh, we're going to sell them soon in the, in the team stores. Uh, and uh, Arians Family Foundation is a voice for children, and uh, we're going to try to raise as much money as we can selling the hats. That's great, Coach. I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks, Bruce always great to, to get a
0: chance to talk to the coaches directly hopefully we can continue to do that every week here on the coaches show podcast well mooch let's transition into we're at the quarter mark we'll do this at the quarter mark the halfway mark the three quarter mark and as you know this league can look totally different four games in compared to eight games in compared to 12 games in but at let's let's start with what is it we know and let's forget the extremes that Denver's really good and Jacksonville really sucks. So let's put those on the extremes. But let, what do we know four games into it? I'll tell you what I know. The first thing that jumps out at me, I just did the, uh, the Detroit Lions-Chicago Bear game. Mm-hmm. And, and I will tell you what I know, that if Reggie Bush is healthy and playing, the Detroit Lions are pretty darn good football team because he totally changes the complexion of what they're able to do with Matthew Stafford and, and Calvin Johnson on the outside and him coming out of the backfield either running the ball or catching the ball.
1: Well, and, and Matthew Stafford threw the ball more times last year than anybody ever threw it—seven hundred and twenty-seven, or whatever it was. He set a new attempts record. And then Javid Best, the guy that they, dra- you know, they drafted from Cal, uh, ended his career now with injuries. And so they went out and got guy named Reggie Bush that you're talking about and some people said hmm, maybe they're looking for some balance maybe they want a runner and a guy that can complement this passing game well I don't think so because Reggie Bush has caught more passes since he's been in the league than any running back they have him to do everything and yeah he'll run the draw play and some of the other stuff But he's such a weapon out of the backfield, and they'll move him around sometimes to play out there like a receiver. And he's one of the few backs in the league that's capable of doing all of those things, certainly in every down back and a very, very multiple alignment kind of a back. You can put that guy in a lot of places. They love having him, and let's hope he stays healthy.
0: He has the right mindset about it now, too. Not that he didn't before, but I asked him uh, in our production meeting. I said, okay, as a rookie, you came out, you had 150-some-odd runs. You had 88 receptions in that first year when you, when you first came out and were playing so well. And then last year in Miami, you ran the ball for 240-plus times, caught it about 35. Which would you rather do? Now, the, the Reggie Bush of late would have said, no, no, I'm a 200-carry, 250. He said, no, 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 I'm that first year. He says, if I can keep it to 150 carries and 75, 80 catches – <laughs> and and I said, that's the that's the right answer, by the way, because he'll last longer, and the yeah. impact he can have on the game. And the other day, he ran for 139. That's great. But coming out of the backfield, like in the first game against Minnesota, he was the difference in the game.
1: Yeah, and so uh, it, it, it'd be fun. Wouldn't it be fun to have a running back like that? I, I never really had a guy that good out of the backfield. I had a lot of good runners and, you know, guys that catch check downs and screens and some of those things. But – but uh Boy, if you if you got in a bind and had a bunch of guys, you got Nate Burleson hurt. He could he could play wide receiver for you if you needed to in yeah. the slot. He'd be terrific.
0: And that's that's a bigger part of it because Nate Burleson is hurt with yeah. with the pizza incident and, and, and breaking pizza his arm. Incident. And uh, <laughs> well, if it weren't the other thing, I, I tell you, I want to talk about that. That I think we may know is if it weren't for Peyton Manning and all that he's doing, we'd probably be talking about Philip Rivers at the top of this show and, and what he's been doing as of late.
1: Yeah, and I thought Mike McCoy would have a you know a rebuilding sort of a year. Uh, they lost some players, uh, new staff starting over from Norv Turner, and and uh, you know his offense has caught fire, and and it looks like Philip Rivers, who we all think is a terrific quarterback, who's been you know a little bit in a slump as of late, probably because of protection issues that they've had. Um, he's all, all of a sudden he's back. And Antonio Gates is back, and he's healthy. That's another difference too. He's healthy, and as long as Ryan Matthews can stay healthy, I, I think uh, you know, I think the Chargers are going to have something to say over there in the AFC West.
0: Does Philip Rivers have the most unusual throwing motion and yeah. action you've ever yeah. seen? Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I can't think of another guy that, like that one touchdown big play down the field. He kind of scrambled up, and it's almost like he pushed it, but the thing is accurate, and it's there.
1: He. Almost like it is it's an unusual throwing motion, and you know i I always kind of I always kind of chuckle a little bit with when guys say you know we're gonna we're gonna change this throwing yeah. motion and we're gonna we're gonna work on the fundamentals of all that, and I'm going you know when a guy's been doing that since he picked up a ball when he was six years old, and that's how he throws it, you ain't changing anything. As long as he gets the ball there on time, um, who cares what it looks like? Because everybody's got a little bit different motion. Sure, I believe in fundamentals and all that, but he, he does throw differently. I love, he's chippy. The guy is, he's a, he's a vocal leader, but he's a, he's a yapper. And uh, he's, not a, he's not afraid. He's, he's talking, he's trying to convince officials to make a call a certain way. He's talking to the opponent and he never stops and and I love that about the kid uh, you know he's a uh... He's a he's a husband and a father, and he's a mature guy. But on the field, he's I mean, he's got a little Richard Sherman in him. He's just talking and he's talking and he's fired up all the time, and I love it. I I think he's a really a special player in this league.
0: What do we at the quarter mark? What do we know about these two young quarterbacks, EJ Manuel and and uh, Geno Smith? I don't know how good they are, but it, at least it doesn't look like the game's too big for him until Geno Smith tries to do I have an Allen, uh, you know, uh, Allen Iverson behind the back. He had his own butt fumble. Oh, my the God.
1: I, I, uh, did he explain that in a press conference or anything? I
0: don't know how you explain go.
1: Hopefully he'll <laughs> learn from, the from the it. the back on his sack. Oh, well. He was trying to protect the ball. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, let me regress a little bit. You, you were talking about Matthew Stafford. He was the 2009 draft, and only he and Curtis Painter were active yesterday. Uh, from that entire class, wow, and so what happens is you know we get excited about quarterback classes before the draft, and on draft day, there was i think eleven of them drafted that year. But how many are still alive and well, yeah. and uh, they fall through the cracks quickly, and so they 're not all like andrew luck 's class, where there are guys there are five guys are starting and well now four and playing pretty darn well, so this class, you know the, the jury is still out. Um, I think e j. Manuel probably has started faster than Geno. But uh, they're asking
0: less of him. They're only asking him to throw it 20, 25, you know, the classic, only throw it 20, 25 times, play some good defense, run the ball. They're making Geno throw the ball too much, aren't they?
1: Yeah, and and they have a good defense over there with the Jets too, and and I I wish Marty would put him in a a situation where, hey, let's have some semblance of balance so we don't – expose our guy, because even if he makes a good play here and there, you know as well as I do that eventually a rookie quarterback is going to remind you that he's a rookie quarterback, and uh, those, are, those are costly in a, in a game uh, that are so close, and they're always going to be close because their defense you know, is keeping them in game. So um, let's see where it goes. It's exciting to have. We need new quarterbacks, and, and we do have the youngest quarterbacking group in the National Football League ever. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly, but there are like 16 guys starting that are under the age of 25, and it's the youngest we've ever had. So I, I guess that bodes well for our future because when we lose a Peyton Manning and a Tom Brady, um, you know, we're we're left with a lot of younger guys that are trying to be the next stars.
0: And and I don't I don't know who the best division is in the NFL, but I know it's not the NFC East. I mean, what, what can we make of what's going on? I've got Philadelphia yeah. at New York this weekend, which will be a really good luck. Which and will so really great you're going to have to
1: make that one exciting. And it will be exciting yeah, because will. there are two teams that are trying to figure it out. And for the last decade or maybe longer, the NFC East was always in the discussion of being the best division from top to bottom. That's why it was so hard to run away with it. It was so competitive. You know, the the teams are coming out of there with a 9-7 and record, you know, and going to the Super Bowl. And so uh, it's because they beat each other up. You know, the Giants are 0-4, Brian, and they're, but they're still in it. They're still very much alive in it because the other teams are – are really struggling as well, and even the Dallas Cowboys at two and two, which lead the division. you just—you never know what you're, what you're going to get from them. And we expect good things from the Cowboys, but here we go again—they're two and two, and that's kind of what they do. And so it's still up for grabs. And <clears throat> now I don't know if the Giants can afford to go and five, and no. if they lose to the Eagles in a division game, but they well, only lost one division. What
0: makes game. it interesting to me is. A wild card's not going to come out of this division because the division right, winner may win, win it at eight and eight. So right. that makes it very compelling that you're only going to get there by being the division winner. And, and except for New York, you know, everybody's within one game of it. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. But, I, but uh, I, I, it's hard. I had the Giants once before. I have no idea where they go from now. Maybe RG3 starts to crank it up a little bit. Dallas is their typical up and down, up and down. And Philadelphia, I'm anxious to visit with Philadelphia and, and actually see them play live as they're moving forward in this transition to the chip kelly
1: era i'm just i'm just uh you know after that first game with the eagles just beating down the redskins and it looked like chip kelly's arrival was you know the it was the greatest thing since sliced bread and then this new offense tempo college oregon offense was going to be the 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 new the new thing in the league and then since then not so fast And, and um I, I'd be I'd be interesting to talk to you about you know what's what's the feeling now. Right. I remember Michael Vick saying football's finally fun again. Well, that was after the first win, yeah. and so uh, let's see you know where this offense goes now because they got to stay healthy. I mean, I I do have a concern with wearing these guys out and wearing them down, especially the quarterback. And so it looks like a fun offense, but I'm not sure they're getting what they wanted to. They're not running more plays than everybody else. They're not tiring out the defense like, like they want to, and certainly not getting the production in the, in no. the end zone like. And they
0: turnovers and, and Vic's getting hit way too much. So oh, uh, yeah, I, I'm no. worried
1: about him surviving.
0: Let's yeah. uh, let's finish off here. I want to I want to <laughs> tap into your vast expertise because that. you are you are a quarterback whisperer. You know, you're one of those guys yeah, that that yeah. I was now. I just called plays, and if they worked, I said make sure you give me credit, and they done. Uh, yeah. You know, make sure you take the blame. Yeah, but I was never a quarterback whisperer. I want to know what what do you, Let's talk about a couple guys. I want to know what you're going to whisper into Matt Schaub's ear, where he's at right now. What would you yeah. be telling him if you're his quarterback coach? <clears throat>
1: um. I would I would probably have a very good relationship with him because he's been around and played well for a long time and has that team now in a position to be a playoff team each year and um and it's not like you know this. It's not like you're gonna tell him, Hey, listen, you can't throw a pick six, okay? It's like no kidding. Um and, and those a pick six, how often does that happen?
0: Right. And he's thrown it's, three in the last three games. He's, or one he's in each like of the right last two.
1: I mean, you can't assume that that's going to continue because those things are rare. And the poor guy is, he's, I'm just looking at his career because he's getting a lot of grief, big-time grief. I mean, people are talking, about, should we make a switch? You know what? He's got a 91.6 career passer rating, which is 11th all-time. That's more than Marino and Favre, okay? That's better than a, the problem with – with Matt Schaub is he's only one-and-one in the playoffs. You know, we talk about Peyton Manning being the best regular season quarterback ever but has a losing record in the playoffs. Well, Matt Schaub's not been in the playoffs but two games, and that's where he's got to go get the team to the playoffs and win in the playoffs. He's not going to throw pick six every game. He, that last one, the Richard Sherman, that was kind of a doofus play. You know, I'm sure he'd like to have that one back. He almost threw it blind uh, after the play-action keep and then swung it. Oh, boy. well, I'm sure that's a big mistake. But he, he he makes a handful of mistakes a game. For the most part, he's a heck of a quarterback. For the most part, he's the reason, you know, he's one of the the, the reasons that that team is, is a playoff-caliber team because they have a veteran quarterback. So I like Matt. He's got, to, he's got to eliminate the big mistake. He's got, to, he's got to play it closer to the vest. There's no doubt about that. But he knows that.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, 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 and I'll move on to Joe Flacco. Five interceptions. He's a perfect example of a guy that last year when he got the big money, it's amazing. And I live in the greater Baltimore area. He's got a Super Bowl win for them. But there's still people that aren't sure that he's that guy. Uh, and particularly during the regular season. Then he goes and throws five interceptions yeah. against Buffalo. I'm not sure I don't try to get into to Joe's ear. And maybe he felt like he just needed to make something happen. Absolutely. You know, sometimes and you're and a quarterback and you got to do that. But, but uh, at some point, you got to look, that, this usually doesn't turn out well when you do that. So don't do that anymore.
1: And you know I had Brett Favre. Okay, and Brett was a gunslinger. He would fire it in there if there was a one-inch crack. He'd try to get it in there half the time, and sometimes it, it would it would work, and sometimes it wouldn't. And I think what happened, and I know for Brett most of his interceptions were were thrown when he felt he had to make a play or we're going to lose. Whether it was a third down play, whether we're losing the game and we had to play catch-up, he's going to take more chances. Um, Because if he doesn't, if he checks it down or takes a sack or throws it away, he feels that we're punting, we're going to lose. And maybe Joe feels like now without some of his weapons, and they've lost a bunch of weapons over the the offseason, That he's got to make plays by himself, and he's got to try to make things happen maybe that aren't there and take take more chances than he used to with a great defense. You know, when your defense is, is not as good uh, or could potentially give up more points, you might say, hey, we need to score more than we did a year or two ago. And and I, and I hope that mindset doesn't affect his decision-making because it looks like he has taken some chances. When,
0: when, when he and a Matt Schaub say he doesn't listen to the critics, he doesn't listen to it all, they're lying, aren't they? I mean, they're kind of lying through their teeth. They,
1: they hear it. Their wife hears yeah. it. Their mom hears it. Yeah. And, and then your best friends tell about it so you're going to hear it sooner or later you Uh, gotta be thick skinned to be a quarterback right
0: what do we tell and and leslie frazier's made it very clear even though matt castle came in played brilliantly and they beat uh, pittsburgh in london but leslie frazier's come out and said christian ponder is my quarterback yeah all right you're we're christian ponder's quarterback coach what are we telling him
1: yeah um He's got to get back healthy, and he's got to prove that uh, this decision is correct. And and uh, you know, you know, Leslie Fraser is basing this decision on more than one game by Matt Castle. He's basing this over the long haul. Uh, that what he's seen from Christian Ponder in practice and meetings and games, and and he has a better base of knowledge to make this decision than all of us outsiders and so I think probably too that he doesn't want to appear to be making a, a quick decision have a knee-jerk reaction over one game one performance and uh, you know kind of steady as she goes and that's how Leslie is um, you know he he, he's, he thinks everything out to the nth degree and so um, do you know when Christian Ponder's coming back? He's got a rib, huh?
0: He's, yeah, he, that's the $64 million question. It used to be the $64,000 question when you and I were young. Now it's the yeah. $64 million question. <laughs> and that, and so, yeah, so what happens if now Matt Castle, let's say Christian Ponder doesn't come back right away and Matt Castle comes out and has another good game?
1: Yeah, it could happen. It could happen. And, you know, we, and we forget that Christian Ponder helped them get to the playoffs last year, too. And uh, that wasn't an easy. Uh, when you just had, you know, just the run game really going for you on offense and and so they've got a lot of in, they've got a lot of time invested in Christian Ponder and they want to see that uh, these young new receivers, Greg Jennings and Cordero Patterson and the the new bunch, you know, grows up with Christian Ponder and they'll, they'll be realistic with it. It's nice to have a veteran backup quarterback, not everybody has one. Thank God they have uh, castle there.
0: Yeah, it, you're exactly right. And in terms of the change, the final thing I guess I'll say is that it's, you got to support. We've all supported our quarterbacks. You know, We saw Greg Sciano support Josh yep. Freeman yep. until the next day decided to go ahead and make the change and go with Mike Glennon. Yep. But but you're going to stick with that guy, and you're going to show that support right up to the point that you change until it.
1: Until you change but, it. Yep. But
0: you do that at a risk, don't you? Because yep. if, if, if the team doesn't see it that way, if they're now going to question whether you know what you're doing, if indeed the team's going, ooh, you know what? Maybe Castle might be better.
1: Yeah, well, no. I haven't heard, have you, no. uh, anybody no. from the no, team saying, hey, we want Castle, we want no. Castle? I haven't heard that yet. And, and Matt Castle's had his chance. He's had his day in the sun. He was a backup to Tom Brady, and they went 11-5 and five the year Tom was out, which was terrific, but, but his deal over in Kansas City wasn't what he wanted it to be. So, um, you know, I'm just assuming that uh, they know what they're doing over there. Uh, Castle would be the... He'll be the relief pitcher, and, and uh, when when the starter's back, he's back.
0: Well, coach, uh, enjoyed it. Um, everybody, you come back and join us next week on uh, our Coach Show podcast. You can find us on iTunes and download the Coach Show podcast, and we'll crank this up again next week.
1: We will see you next week, and I'll have my tie on. I had a tie on uh, on this phone conversation. I'm
0: counting
1: on it. it kind of uh, kind of didn't need it this time, but it was fun anyway. Brian, talk to you next time.